as we continue in worship this morning. I just encourage you to grab your Bibles and pick up our or if you use a tablet or a phone, turn to Matthew, chapter 4 is where we will be, you know, and, and truly, you know, there is lots of things going on in our world, uh, you know, if you think of, of kids, if you think of uh, just their mental health, and I believe that my memory serves me correct, which doesn't always, tomorrow is World Mental Health Day. And, and I will tell you, as a pastor, as a counselor, we are in crisis with mental health. Uh, and it needs to no longer be a taboo in the halls and the walls of the church or in our homes. Uh, we need to continue to break that down with that. And one of the things we are, or at least I'm seeing, and I think others are seeing it, is there is a sense of hopelessness permeating our world. We are, we are, we've been thrown for a loop many times over. And we're grasping for anything to provide us with hope or to help answer this question, what is our purpose? Or what is my purpose? And this isn't just questions that seniors like Quentin and Jordan, you know, have to answer. Though that's part of it, you know. I, I know, you know, Jordan has kind of answered some of that question and she's looking at doing EMT medic work, you know, and the headaches that provides, right? You know, pray for her every Sunday. She tries to learn things that puts her to sleep. Uh, would book, I mean, I wouldn't even try to open the book she's opening, okay? It's not just for people like Cooper, which is good to have you here this morning from college, you know, as you're in college and the courses you're taking, but it's also for people like Chad and, and Fred, Art, and Don. Don, I was going to pick on you today, so there it is, you know. And, and Ron Clutter still has to answer the question. Our shut-ins have to answer the question, what is my purpose? And when you don't have a clear answer, two things I believe will happen. One, you will go around pretty hopeless because you don't know why you exist. And two, you can't make sense of the rest of the world. It's hard to put things into a, a system of understanding and you don't understand your purpose, your value, who you are, or where you might be going. Now we're Baptist, right? Oh, I know, I ask tough questions. You know, uh, I, I know, I realize that scares you all, because if I go another 20 minutes more than normal, 
You're like, uh-uh. So you make, but don't make that keep quiet, all right? There's encouragement there, you know, with that. But we are Baptists, right? Yes. All right. Which means we, we have a belief that we don't need creeds and confessions. We're not what they call a confessional church where we have this uh, confession that is the sin. We believe in scripture and scripture alone. Now, I will tell you, every confessional church also would believe that. Creeds and confessions help to narrow down and to say very succinctly what our beliefs are from scripture. And there is a, a confession known as the Westminster Confession or Catechism, which is a way of teaching that asks this question, and I think it's a good one, what is the chief and highest end of man? Not just, not, and if you know the answers, hold up, we'll get to the answer. Some of you already got it, I heard All right, some of you have been in it, you know, yeah, we got some of these here. And, he already said the answer. But notice what it does. It doesn't say what is an end of man. Or what may be. But what is the chief, the primary and the highest end of man? See, sometimes when we talk about purpose, we can kind of start to get a little too narrow to some extent. We might think of things like vocation. What is my purpose? Am I, am I to be a, a great mathematician? Or am I to be a mom? Maybe both. And we can get caught into that. It might be a politician who serves the Lord or a great medical professional. Yes, maybe. Maybe you'd be a pastor or a missionary, a Sunday school teacher, a, teach, a seminary professor, or just a regular teacher. Those can be part of your purpose, but, but we need to then step back and go, what is my greatest purpose? And here is the answer according to that, which I believe is according to Scripture. To glorify God and fully, what's the next word? Enjoy Him forever. Now, when does forever start? Now. We sometimes think of forever when we think of eternal life, especially of someday. But it says forever, now. To glorify God and fully enjoy Him forever. Now, this isn't just something that I believe, uh, you know, our, our Presbyterian and our Lutheran friends came up with, but it is rooted in Scripture. It is rooted in the very beginnings of things. And if we will start to think biblically, we will see how this can change life. Change how you and I interact with life. No, you may not go around quoting this. I mean, Ron, you, you grew up in this kind of, uh, kind of way of, of Christian life. You probably had to say this about every week, didn't you? Regular, what was regular in years? Regularly, periodically. Is that not a seminary professor right there? That's a clutter answer? You know. Alright, one of the scholarship. There's 707. That's in the larger one, correct? Do what? 107. Is that the larger one or the shorter one? Shorter. Okay, so you, either, you got 107. That's the short one. 
Can you match Cooper for a scholarship to have to know 107 answers just to be eligible? No, you wouldn't fill that one out, would you? No. <laughs> and that's the shorter one. You know, to glorify God and fully enjoy Him. Another way of putting it, it is taught in our schools, it was made popular by Stephen Covey, but it's, we must begin with the end in mind. So that's really what that catechism is trying to get us to do. And please do not freak out. Okay? Everyone say, I will not freak out. Oh, so shit. Most of you are going to freak out this morning. Say, I will not freak out. I've already set my retirement date, okay? All right, I've said it. it. I told you not to freak out, Becky, and you're already doing it right there. It happens to be in 30 years, okay? So, well, aren't you the bearer of good news? <laughs> Man, you, you know, those of you online, that was another, that was another clutter answer that half of the church can be dead by them. She was thinking that next, you know. Uh, but but for, for many of you, yeah, you don't have to freak out because you've got 30 years. Uh, Joyce will still be around in 30 years at 110. You know, uh, no. It, you know, but yeah, 30 years. So why is that important for me? Well, here's a couple things. Once again, say to yourself, I will not freak out. That means, if I realize that, that means I'm not doing this forever. And that sounds maybe bad. I'm always going to be in ministry, but there is, I will tell you, the work and the weight of ministry and pastoring is greater and greater with every year. Okay? I can't do this forever. Lord willing, by the grace of God, I will, be, I will continue on. But if I have this, I only have 30 more years. And it reminds me that when I can be faithful this year, because there's only 29 more after that. Right? I can be faithful today because tomorrow is Monday and it's not Sunday. You know, I can be faithful this week because in the end, I only have a certain amount of time. It's not forever. And I use that trick a lot with people who are in difficult situations. Learn that there is an end coming. And if we can remember there is an end coming, we can go through the days today. The reality is, as much as I don't like to admit that it's right because the reality of what that means for us as a church, in 30 years, half of war of you will have already gone home to be with the Lord. I will have many, many more funerals. Lord willing, within that time period, many, many more will be here in the church, and we will have many more babies here in the church. But if we can remember the fact that we have an expiration date, we might live differently. In a world that is seeking immortality, and the fountain of youth, we must be reminded we are mortal individuals. We will die. And when we can realize that, it may change our perspective on how we live this week. That's the reason we have to begin with the end in mind. Not only that, but when we realize that, we will realize that we will all go into seasons of the desert. 
seasons of dry places. But those aren't the end of themselves. They are a season for a reason. We know with Adriel and his dad, as much as we hate it, harvest isn't always going to be around. So we're not talking what we do for the next 50 years necessarily, but how do we get by these next 50 days? We can count now. The desert periods of life are very important periods. We read in Scripture, and we read even in, in our Gospel account this morning that Jesus goes into the desert or the wilderness. There is a story in the Old Testament about a wilderness. In fact, most of the first five books of the Bible were, were put into writing, per se, or transmitted orally to the nation during that time to not just teach them where they came from, but what is their end? Where are they going? And the answer to that was the promised land. And if they knew where they were going, that should make a difference in how they lived. We read in our verses this morning that Jesus, after he was baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. What do you say to that, Daniel? Could you go 40 days and 40 nights without much food? No. How many hot dogs would you want after even just one week without food? More than one package. More than one package. Okay. Do what? Yeah, yes, in fact, Alicia and I had this little uh, game we played last night. Eliana had dinner, and she said she was full. She went off to the other room. We had a pool over whether it was going to be 15 minutes or 30 minutes before she came back to say, I'm hungry. It was 13 minutes. <laughs> have no fear. She does not have a tapeworm. We've had her checked, and he worked before. She's good. You know, th think of this. And, and there's a lot that goes with it. We, we see that he was in the wilderness and he was going to be tempted. We read in the book of James that we are not tempted by God, but we are tested by God. Uh, Noah, look up here. What do I have in my hand? A coin. What side is it on? Is this coin only heads? No, what's the other side called? Tails. Why are you looking at me like you are, why are you telling me, asking me tough, tough questions? <laughs> You're like, what's the point, right? Is this, can you have just a head cord? A cord that's all heads? Theoretically, right? But you couldn't spin it because there's there's things on both sides. Is, is the tail side also a quarter? Okay, is the headset also the quarter? Yes. There's, it's two sides of the same coin. Testing and temptation are the, same, are the same coin, just different sides of the coin. They have different goals in mind. And we look at it, I'm being tempted. Maybe the question is, you're just looking at the coin wrong. Maybe you're being tested. Okay? Maybe you think of being, you know, whatever the case may be. And so we read here that Jesus went out to be tempted. What, I, the, the wilderness journey, as you will read in your, 
devotions this week if you do them, and they are online this week. I apologize last week for those of you who follow us online primarily. I did not get there uh, with it. But a temptation is Satan's way of trying to get us off course, and testing reveals what we already know. Carol, as an educator, knows that we have to be tested, don't we? Otherwise, you wouldn't know whether or not they know something. But are you ever tempting your students to get the wrong answer? You don't think so? She's like, uh, I don't think so. Uh, but we're not trying to get them to fail. You know? But they test to reveal what is there. To reveal what needs to be worked on. To some extent, a test helps you set your goals. A temptation is to set you back. So, uh, you know, we need to see life as revealing what it is. A temptation becomes a test when we allow God to redeem the situation. God is going to redeem the situation, so it's not a temptation, but it is redeemed. God is redeeming the work of the enemy to reveal what is already there. How can that change how you view the next thing you go through? If you view it primarily as a temptation, then you're worried about messing up, of failing, and you become anxious, you can kind of freeze, or you will fight, or you will run. If you see it as a testing, you're going, okay, reveal what is already there so I can move forward. And maybe we need to see our desert moments not just as something to uh, survive through, but instead of God's way of redeeming life so that we can move on to the promised land. This is part of what the Bible teaches about the Exodus moment. It was to reveal who the nation was. We have an enemy. You will be tempted. But God can redeem temptation to be a test. To how to reveal who you are and also who he is. So as we look at this, uh, what I will call the testing of Jesus, I know it says tempting, and there's reasons for that. But I believe because we know the rest of the story, we see that it has been redeemed to reveal who Christ already was there. And so we read that um, Satan comes and says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, was anything wrong with bread after fasting for a period of time? The answer is no. no. Clay, did you have breakfast this morning of some sort? You know, did Clay sin because he had bread this morning? Or coffee or an energy drink or whatever it was this morning? Did you buy it? He may have sinned in other areas, but not that one, right? And this is, I think, sometimes what we have to realize. The issue here is not the bread. The issue here is not Jesus was hungry. Satan's not always going to make it overt your, your task. But what he, the test is to misuse his identity and his power. The test for Jesus was, 
in the, in the baptism where, where uh, Jesus hears and those others hear that this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I don't think necessarily Satan is trying to get Jesus to question his identity, but instead to prove his identity. No one will know if you make these rocks for them, right? You can just go ahead and prove to yourself and everybody and me and the wildlife around that you are the Son of God. Use your power to do something that is okay. It's, wouldn't that be tempting? No one else was going to know. Except he told the story to his disciples. We have it written down. They could have left this out. It just maybe even one little nice sized rock. You know, just enough for one package of hot dogs, right, Dana? I mean, if you could make hot dogs just appear like cooked at any point in time, you'd be tempted to do that sometimes, wouldn't you? Uh huh. Yeah, he's like, absolutely. I'm hungry for hot dogs now. Thanks, Dad. You know, it was the misuse who he was and the purpose and the power that God had given him. What is his response? I will trust God. I do not need to prove my status with him. He said, man does not eat and live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't need to prove who I am in order to, for it to be true. I'm going to trust that God is going to provide. He was called into the wilderness not by his own doing, but by the Spirit of God. And if God has called, God will provide in some way, shape, and form. That was the test of the wilderness journey. Would they believe that the God who calls them out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness can take care of their food, their clothes, and their water? If they would remember whose they are, they wouldn't have to prove to themselves and others who they are. They knew their next step was the promised land. Jesus knows what his next step is. His next step is to proclaim who he is in word and in deed. And so Satan comes with a second temptation. He takes him to the Temple Mount. And he says, uh, if, or another way of anything, because since you are the Son of God, I don't think Satan is trying to give Jesus the doubt who he is. We know in Scripture, Satan knows who Jesus is fully, more so than sometimes humans do. He says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, God will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that not, you will not strike your foot against a stone. His second test was show others who you are. Prove to somebody else who you are. And prove in a mighty way to see Scripture Bible says if you are the Son of Man, he won't let you strike a heel. Now, he took it way out of context. 
But I think we need to understand this. This is why we need to know uh, not just verses and memorizing our verses. We need to know how they play out in the part because we have an enemy who knows Scripture pretty darn well. Because he wants to use it to get you, you know what, maybe I ought to do that. That wouldn't be too bad. Think of it. It's the Temple Mount. The nation of Israel, the world, is ripe for a Messiah. No, the nation of Israel, the leaders are looking for the Messiah. They're tired of Roman rule. And if someone can be thrown off the Temple Mount and not get hurt, there's a good indication this is something special about this guy right here. Man, what a following he could have, right? Wow. I mean, if I went up to the uh, cupola of the church, you know, which is the tallest point, and I jumped off, and God miraculously didn't even let my heel get hurt, you all would probably think a little bit better of me. Because that's pretty amazing. If anybody was around, they'd be like, I've got to go to that church on Sunday, because I mean, if that pastor can do that, I'd love to do it. Would people be coming to Jesus if they saw him not even stub a toe because of who he is or because of something great that could happen? And the struggle within the Gospels, the struggles today is do we come to have a faith in Jesus because of who Jesus is or because of what he does for us and for others? We need both, but if it's always about what he does or the miraculous things he does, then our faith is not going to sustain. I think this is one of the reasons as Jesus combated the supernatural, the spiritual warfare, time and time again, he told demons to be silent. Why? Because if they proclaimed too much of who he was, people would no longer listen to him or follow him. Because they had this idea of this is the Messiah, this is what the Messiah has to do. And they would miss who Jesus really was. He's more than just the Messiah. He is God in flesh. The Gospel of John shows that. So his response, don't try God. He doesn't need to prove who I am. He doesn't have to prove my status with him. He doesn't need help creating a follower. So, we see it. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You know, one of the things that is very tricky that I think is seeped into our Christian world, and there's some truth to it, which makes it dangerous at times, is when we truly understand God's sovereignty, we can sometimes say very flippantly, unfortunately, well, it must have been God's will. Because we know God is in control. We see this sometimes in death. We see this uh, sometimes within world events. What well, must have been God's will that we have a war in Ukraine and Russia? A fatalistic idea of things. Or someone died. It must have been their time. Which, okay, so they, they died. Yes, it was their time, so to speak. Well, we only know that with hindsight. I think sometimes we use that to justify how someone can test God and put him to the test to see if he's going to show up or not. 
and I think we need to be very careful. We may say, well, it must have been their time to go as words of comfort, but yet those can be words of stinging when now the person is left, oh, that makes no sense to me. Why would God want them in this way? I think of those who suffer the loss as uh, kindred others of a suicide. Was it really their time to go? I don't say that to be to be too negative and harsh, but friends, we must watch what we say. I don't believe it was that little girl's time to go. I believe God is sovereign, but it doesn't mean God causes all things. He doesn't cause us to sin. I don't think he was the direct cause of the war that we're seeing, which only the, truly the Lord knows the next move. Was it their time to go and all the innocent lives lost and not so innocent lives lost? No. I say, let us be careful. Let us use wisdom in areas. I say this all the time. Let's not go play in traffic. If I get hit, it wasn't my time to get hit. Okay? And we need to see this. We need to know that we don't have to prove it always. Let me move on for the sake of time. Then the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Test number three for Jesus and also for us at times is take the easy way. Take the short nuts. See, I think Satan had this idea. He knew Jesus was going to give it in the end anyways. He's not pointing new material. To Jesus here. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to offer you something that you're not going to get. He's saying, I'm going to offer you what you already get, but get. I'm just going to make sure you don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to go through the suffering. You don't have to go through the desert moment to get to the promised land. See how tricky that temptation can be, that testing can be. We want it easy. We want what we want, and we want it now. We want, we, we want many things, but we'd rather not do the hard work. You know, John, I don't know how much of your work as a medical professional, but people just really want the easy, just give them something that will take it away. You really want to go, well, if you do A, B, and C, it would actually be better for you, but it's harder for them. You know. Everything. You know? Absolutely. Now, the medicine is evil by any stretch. It can help. It is meant to help. But there is no great doctor on the face of this world that can truly take care of all issues like that. You've got to go the efforts. It's hard work. And we're always looking for that shortcut. You know, we're always looking for how can we get what we want the easiest way or with the least amount of pain. And, and there's debate, why did the nation of Israel have to go through the desert? You know, and as long as they were going, I mean, there was an easier route to some extent. But in the end, I think part of it was one, God's ways are not our ways, and two, they needed to know what was inside of them before they get to the 
benefits of being God's people. Because if we get, just get the good stuff right away, we don't want the others with it. What is Jesus' response? God alone has authority over what is the chief and highest end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And if you see that God knows in the end that's already mine, so I don't have to take it now because I do get it in the end, but I have a greater purpose than just gaining the whole world. Jesus would later say, what is it to you if you gain the whole world yet lose your soul? The answer to that was nothing. But he would also say, as the contrary, what do you gain if you gain your soul and lose the whole world? Everything. Because that's what he can do. Because of who he is. And the beauty of this is the result of this testing is then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. The result was his needs were met in mighty and to us unexpected ways. As what was revealed to him, as we see this, we got to know that the end of any testing or temptation will be we will have needs met in a mighty way if we will persevere to the end. Why do I have my retirement date set? I, I must admit, it's not completely set. So when I say the age 70, I may, for you know, other reasons, go to uh, 71, Lord willing. No more, you know, maybe 70, let me think about this. Uh, 2001, I was 80, 82 to 2001, someone helped me with math. What was that? 19, all right, 2003, I would have been 21, right? That makes sense? All right, yeah, 71, 71. Because then I can say I've been in ministry and survived uh, and persevered for 50 years of full-time ministry. And full-time ministry is about 55 hours a week plus. Okay, just so we all know what that looks like. You know, I've had, I've, I've had many more years. That would be 50 years of full-time ministry. That would be 53 years of ministry. That would be close to 60 years of preaching. Because I was preaching by the time I was 13 in some way, shape, or form. I think that's kind of cool. All right? So if I had that end in mind, then I could persevere and go, I could create another message this week. I, I joke with Alicia, don't take this wrong. Um, I drove with Alicia most Sunday mornings. Do you want to preach today? And she always says no. One of the stations say yes. And I just jokingly say, well, the people expect another message. And a halfway decent one at that. Point to be made. I could always preach what I preach on Sunday by Friday evening. But you know, Sunday mornings I'm trying to put the ends together with things. You know, Sunday coming every week. You know, and, and so we can see as we persevere through the needs that only as we see the end, only as we know that what we're doing right now isn't the end. As I finish up my seventh year here in this place, 
I still have another 30 years left of ministry, Lord willing, maybe even here. Which would be 37 years as your pastor. Everybody needs this to know would know no other person but me. There's beauty in that, and there's challenges in that. You know, 30, you know, as we think of that, I go, I can continue on because this isn't the end. There's coming another time. You know, where the Lord is going to meet my needs in mighty ways as he has. Because God is calling us to do something. God is calling us to be his people, and he will provide. My question is, what is God calling you to do? He's called you into a relationship with him. And if you don't know Jesus as Lord, today is the day of salvation. He is calling you to do something. And that first and foremost call is into relationship with him. To confess him as the Messiah. To, to, to say, he alone has authority over my life. And, it, and it's not just a call for these young kids that are 10, 11, 9. It is the call for those of us who are 40, those of us who are 80, and those who are coming near 90 and 100. You may have accepted that first call, but you also hear the call today of, I alone as Lord and King of the world have authority to say what you do next. And he will provide grace and mercy and truth and hope. And then I ask, will you trust? That's a scary thing, is it not? Jesus in full humanity I believe he didn't know exactly how he was going to be fed next in this story. He's fully God, fully man. I don't quite get that. He could have gone into the town that he was nearest by and got bread. Someone would have given him. Instead, in a supernatural way, the angels attended to him. As a reminder that God would provide. God was calling our church. For some, we are fulfilling some of that calling as we preach faithfully the word of God, as we reach out into our community, as we try to be a church that makes disciples and makes disciples in many ways. And we're coming up with budget time, and I don't really like budget time, because I see where the expenses are going. Okay? You know, I see that things aren't getting cheaper. Alright? But we are called to do a work where we trust that God doesn't have to show us who we are in Him. We can just trust what He says in His God. And we can faithfully obey Him. Will you trust the Lord today? Will you trust His Word today? Will you allow your purpose to be about loving Jesus and loving others? When that is the case, as we have sung already, no scheme of man, no power in hell can overcome you. For, as he said, whoever dies in me truly lives, and whoever lives in me will never die. And forever starts now and lasts for all eternity. Will you enjoy him? 
this day as you trust Him. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. Lord, as we are going to uh, proclaim and, and, and song again uh, the truth of your word, that it is sweet to trust in you, that as the Israelites were to learn about your word, that it was going to be sweeter than honey. Lord, if we will trust you, you are calling us all something. And you're calling our church to continue to be faithful. But we must begin with the end in mind, realizing our chief end is to bring you glory and to enjoy you fully. And when we do that, we will love you and we will love others. Lord, I ask that you would help us to trust you today. Maybe someone online or someone here needs to just uh, publicly say, I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to Jesus. He has full authority in my life. And Lord, that we would surround him and say, well done. Lord, that we would remember that, you know, maybe for some of us, we, you, you called us to something, and our next act of obedience is to submit. And you will provide. Lord, whatever our commitment needs to be, Lord, may we be willing to do it, knowing that as we trust you, you will do what you said you would. You will provide for every need, whether here on earth or in glory with you. Whichever way is always the best way. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.